Alright everybody, welcome into another episode of Hacked History. We are on episode, I believe, 3 now mm-hmm. of our Cold War deep dives. Um, started out with Animal Farm, it's a nice one. And then the last one, my personal favorite, because you know it was just amazing, was me taking on Joseph yeah. McCarthy in the 1952, his 1952 re-election bid. Um, that one is a great episode. If you haven't listened, go back and check it out. With me always, I have four-time Grammy-nominated Israeli artist, <laughs> Jakob. <laughs> wow, all right. Shalom. Welcome, Jakob. How's it going? L'chaim. How are things going in Israel right now? Yeah. Very Israeli? Yeah. Hummus. Right. Not hummus. Is hummus? I don't know. Uh, but anyway. Oh, God, the character's been broken. Ladies and gentlemen, his name's Jake. He cannot portray a Jew on the podcast. <laughs> You're right. I can't. I mean, I didn't attempt to. But no, you decided to throw me under the bus. God damn it. All right. Uh, but anyway, we are back with another episode. This one, this one's a doozy, folks. This one's a hot doozy. This one you've been asking for, even though no one's asked for it. But we know. We know what you want. Uh. And what you want is indeed an episode on the death of Joseph Papa Stalin. Joseph <laughs> Papa Papa Stalin, Stalin. coming back. This is going to be our Russian listener's favorite episode. That one Russian listener that got whacked just two weeks ago that we no longer have, apparently. Please don't die listening to oh, No, I don't want him to Russia. die. I'm just saying, we don't know what happened to you, Yuri, and we'd like you to come back. All we're saying is, you know, if you're listening to this one in Russia, just please, you know, if it's going to put your life in danger, it's not hey, that important. If you're listening to it from a small cell in the basement of the Lubyanka building... Good on you. I don't know how you got it in there, but you're definitely going to find it. Listen, this one's for Navalny. That, that's... The... Hmm. This one's for him. And now we're immediately in the GRU's target. Nice. <laughs> That's the goal. All right, anyway. Put the crosshairs on their foreign intelligence. I'm agency. pretty sure we were already the targets of Russians when I said Joseph Papa Stalin. We Do, do, you, do you forget the original episode? Anyway. Well, we talked about his schlong. Yeah, his steel foreskin. If I could say schlong in like a... Uh, in like a um, uh, Sean Connery way, I would, but... I'd... Scottish cock. He's got a schlong. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, move on with your intro. Uh, anyway, so this is, again, this is Hacked History, just in case you forgot. I know I said it a little bit ago, but you can find us on Facebook at Hacked History. You can find us on Instagram at Hacked underscore History. And you can find us at Gmail. Uh, if you want to go ahead and send us an email and tell us how great Jake and I are, you can do that at Hacked History 101 at gmail.com. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much the intro. Uh, Jake. Wow, what a great intro. You told me not to interrupt you. <laughs> I did, and it was great, wasn't right, it? Anyway, so, yeah, as Lucas has haphazardly decided to introduce me, um... He's also wearing a coat right now, and I'm not really sure why, because we're not fucking recording outside. Apparently, he thinks it's cold in my bedroom. You know what? It's the Cold War. I gotta be dressed for it. <laughs> as you can hey. be fucking sweating out of your ass. I don't give a fuck! <laughs> anyway, so, as we pointed out, yes, this is the death of Stalin. If anything, we'd like to say that episode, what of fucking, whatever that season. Was like episode two or three. Two or three has come full season with it the man really with the steel foreskin returns to the stage. All right. Yeah, we're just doing redos of previous episodes that we have done. Well, we at least Stalin, we're not like we LOPTL where we fucked up the research and had to redo it because we well, were listen, wrong. Okay. Um, I don't know why you hate those guys. I don't. I'm just shout saying. Shout out to them. Do They're it right the first mistakes. time. Do it right the first time. You want to say that on our podcast? <laughs> really? That's part of the satire. Anyway, so, uh, basically a lot of us probably have watched or maybe have heard of the movie Death of Stalin, which I did watch, and I was, it was fucking hilarious. It was. 
And granted, of course, it's a comedy. It's a it's a dark comedy, but it is a comedy. And so if you're watching... I love how you're walking back that whole comment. I love that movie, but listen, it might not be for you. It so. may not be. You don't want to hate. I mean, look, we're dealing with a country that doesn't like people who say no. Um, So basically... Fuck, what are they going to do to us? Shoot us both in our sleep. I'd like not to die within the next 48 hours, but... Uh, They're not going to come to America and shoot us. They're already here. <laughs> oh shit let's stop the podcast everybody <laughs> anyway so um basically here with this i basically i kind of took a little bit of a more i'm gonna say fact-based it's not that but it's definitely a more sort of nuanced way of looking at how stalin's death happened why it was so important it's one of those really super bizarre sort of moments in history where you have a guy like stalin who we talked about who basically built up a cult of personality so large that he was almost untouchable, and then when he finally died, that cult of personality bit him on the ass, and I will go into that. Um, in the in spirit of that, I do also want to recognize, though, I'm not actually saying fuck the whole country of Russia. That was more no. just like a fuck, like, the idea that they could come here and do shit to us. I think what you mean is I don't really have a Putin? problem with Russia. Yeah, fuck Putin. Say I'll it, say, say it. it loud. Will you, will you say it with me, Jack? No, I won't. Why not? I don't want to die. Anyway, so... Well, listen, listen, listen. We're getting off track now. You're part of this. You're part of this. I can neither confirm nor deny. You spineless bitch. (laughs) I work for the KGB. Stick to your conviction. I'm the worst agent they have. Um, And the loudest. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But uh, anyway, so the way I kind of want to start our Death of Solid episode is basically we're kind of moving, opening with the movie overview from IMDb here, basically stating this. When a tyrannical dictator Joseph Stalin dies in 1953, his parasitic cronies square off in a frantic power struggle to become the new leader. In a nutshell, that is basically what we are going to talk about. That is that is what we're looking at. But we're going to go, wait for it, deeper. Deeper. Than the movie did. Okay, well, you not almost throw up when you're talking. I had a deeper. <laughs> deeper. That was, that was Papa Stalin's penis coming <laughs> You said it, not me. I'd like somebody to isolate that audio clip of his <laughs> saying that. It was a joke. That. I don't actually mean it. Do you think the troll on Reddit's going to care? I don't give a fuck what they think. Anyway. Yeah, they're all a bunch of turbo virgins. Uh, anyway. Um, Although, so, shout out to the stock market game. That's hilarious. That's, that is funny. Anyway. Let's go GameStop. Okay, I wish I'd fucking put some stock in that. I'd make goddamn much money. Anyway. Um, so basically, sort of taking it in the slight vein of, like, almost a small play, I decided to sort of line it up like this. We're going to start with what I call the cast of assholes. And I'm going to line them out, and we're going to go into each of them in a little bit more detail. There are about ten of them, but these people are important to this story. That is why we are talking about them. That is why they do make an appearance somewhere. And no, there's not a baker's dozen of them. Get off our card. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, there's not a baker's dozen. There's more like an executioner's thirteen. Because I think at least a third of them were put in the ground. Anyway. My personal favorite is Zhukov. We're talking about Zhukov, right? Zhukov will be there, yes. But we have other, both more heinous and less heinous, but equally stupid people to work with. <laughs> so, number one is Joseph Stalin. We are going to be looking at him first. Nikita Khrushchev comes in at number two. Georgi Malenkov at number three. Vyacheslav Molotov, which I took a little bit to figure that one out. Vyacheslav. I think that's how it's pronounced. Maybe I'll I'll put say my, ten uh, times fast. No. no. <laughs> Molotov. Lavrenti Beria, who's my personally despised fucking gremlin. He's my least favorite one. I wonder why. And anyway, Georgi Zukov. <laughs> yes, yeah, Anastas Mikoyan, Vasily Stalin, Svetlana Stalin. I know technically her last name is different, but for this one, to make it easier for all of us, I'm going to use it. And Nikolai Bulganin. 
Well, so, at one point she was Stalin. She was. Oh, yeah. and I have a fucking wild fucking fact for you when we get there. <laughs> so, we're going to start on number one. I call them personality files because, in a way, I kind of delved into the CIA's... Why don't you F- just call them the X-Files so we can get sued about 50 times? Uh, no, I'm not. Because now you've said it and we're going to get fucked up the ass. I like it. HBO and Time Warner are coming for me! We can call these... <laughs> they the- can't get me alive! Well, why don't we call these the Hammer and Sickle Files? <laughs> that actually files. would be fucking great. <laughs> anyway... From deep within the KGB. <laughs> anyway, um, it's the it's the fucking no 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 um what's the what, it's the fucking um goosebumps theme from the TV show. Dun 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 dun. <laughs> what, what? I don't think it sounded like that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> what? Well, you said I'm that. not the fucking weird guy here. <laughs> Are you sure? I'm sleep deprived, but I'm not weird. All right. Anyway. Uh, so, we're starting with Joseph Stalin, and each of them, we're going to kind of go through their position holdings, and then kind of what kind of person we're looking at here. Now, granted, I will point this out, too, as a fair warning, and it'll probably come up again in the later part of this episode, is that we are still dealing with shit that is somewhat classified because of the nature of Stalin's personality and how much power if he held. If you held. listen to this episode in Russia, you might get shot. You might. You might. Do this in a safe place, is what I'm saying. Maybe go to, like, an embassy somewhere. Maybe just don't be in Russia. Anyway, um, <laughs> but Stalin being basically there comes Jake spawn this bitch again. Yeah, He's coming much. out. Uh, my uh, my Ted Cruz is showing up. Um, no, but basically Stalin is. Well, as there we, might have been voter fraud. There might have been, but there wasn't voter fraud. God damn it, you! Basically, Stalin is our starting character. He's Jake the secretary general of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, also known as the CPSU, and he is that from 22 to 53. That's a fucking long-ass time. Um, he's the premier of the Soviet state from 1941 to 1953, commander-in-chief of the Soviet armed forces from 41 to 45, and pretty much, I think, after that, but also sometimes it's not all that obvious. Anyway. Stalin is almost without introduction probably one of the worst or next to worst dictators in human history, at least in my opinion. Though he is well, definitely top three. He's definitely up there in shitty people you don't want to be in a room with. Considered by a lot, though, to be one of the more brutal European dictators of the 20th century, Stalin has not lost his more ruthless edge at the start of 1953. To borrow from Silvio Berlusconi, I'm going to go ahead and call Stalin an unfuckable lard ass. Yes. <laughs> I mean, technically, he was a fuckable lard ass because, and he was very short, and he also wasn't fat. So you were wrong in all three of those. I don't really care. It's Stalin. <laughs> anyway. So it's disinformation that man put out in his lifetime? A lie. <laughs> a lie. In fact, we're going to be covering... In fact, an entire fucking generation we're of We're going to be covering gone. Soviet propaganda later in that's the right. year. That's right. That's the other time that... Year. That's what we call the second time that Lucas has done something on this podcast, Actually, other than edit like once or two twice. two or three more of episodes of mine in this one, so... Ooh, because he can swing his Buckle dick around. Up. Yeah. Anyway... So he had a like about propaganda. God I'm gonna keep interrupting Jake. I fucking hate you so much right now. <laughs> and I can't wait for the fucking oh if you'd stop talking, this wouldn't go for three and a half hours. This be a multi part episode, we're good. You no, know, it's not. We're gonna do this in one shot. That's what you say every time. <laughs> we're gonna I'm gonna do this. I don't give a fuck, okay? I do. Anyway. Let's keep going. So, again, it has not lost his ruthless edge by fifty three. That is obvious. Because he continues to eradicate perceived enemies of the state and is a master cadre of fucking people who hate him, both in the public and in the government. Granted, of course, you would not be able to say anything about it because of the long, veiny arm of the NKVD. At this point in time, it becomes the GRM, I think. Shout out. (laughs) Uh, Is it the GMU? Regardless of what acronym it is, it is the secret police. And pretty much this, we indicate that Khrushchev, Khrushchev, 
that Stalin basically, to put his personality in a nutshell, he is a paranoid man. He is a paranoid man. He is also not a well man, both physically and mentally. His brutality continues unabated. There is nothing that has changed from the purges of the 30s or the Holodomor or any of that cruel shit he's done at this point. He has just basically been taking a, a backlog after the war, and now he's back in swing. The boys are back in town. He was go- And we were just getting into the whole, like, the Jews are going to kill him sort of doctor's trial thing. But regardless, um, the next person up is number two is Nikita Khrushchev. I kind of put him as number two because he's basically going to be at the end of this thing. Spoiler alert: the fucking leader of the Soviet Union. Well, why even listen to the episode now? Yeah, all that shit in the middle didn't matter. You ruined it. Yeah, I did. Because history is not about people. It's not about places. It's not about dates. You know what it's about? It's about how you feel. It's uh, none of those things. Will you get that kindergarten version of history out of my fucking head? <laughs> that's not yeah, that's not at all how they teach it. I don't even think they teach it there. Anyway, uh, Nikita Khrushchev, for lack of a better point, he had held a lot of positions, so I tried to narrow it down here. We are looking at him being first party secretary of the Petrovsko-Marinsk district of Yuzovka. I got that one. Now, Donetsk in Ukraine in 1925. Where did your nana... What did you call her? Where did she come my from? My great-grandmother was... From shit, I honestly it, don't know. Was it? I think Bosa? it was. By, no, I think it was by like Kiev and stuff like yep. that. Yeah. Okay. In this general area, of course, whether depending on whether or not she lived there, um, at this time or not, she was in America. But at this point in time, you would be. She seeing, came over in 1919. Actually. Oh no, been, then yeah. she would have been the fuck she out of there gone. before that shit went down. Um. Yeah, but he is basically sort of their party boss. Over in Ukraine. That's where he starts as. And basically, Party Boss is sort of just like the guy in the regionals who does all the shit for that particular area. He's also a regional party organizer for the regions of Kharkiv and Kiev from 1925 to 1929. He is second secretary of the Moscow Region Committee in 19, from 1933 to 1935. First secretary of Moscow City and Regional Party Organization, effectively the governor of Moscow from 1935 to 1936. And... Sort of was a bit of a gap over the war. And then he returned in 1949 as the Moscow party boss. Basically, Khrushchev's personality runs like this. He's a man of humble origins. That cannot be disputed. He was a poor man. He was born a poor man. Mamma mia, let me go. Some little rags to riches story. Yeah, a little bit. He was still already... Rags to riches? Oh, and a genocide in between. He was still already hit Broadway musical about his life. Yes. (laughs) Is that going to be like the producers where it's like, it's about Hitler being a dancer? (laughs) I was thinking more about like, uh... I was thinking more about like you know like uh, like uh, like Hamilton. So it's like my name is Nikita Khrushchev. <laughs> I would like it if it wasn't one song backed into another song backed into another song without dialogue Just for a whole three and a half and hours. No explanations. Pretty much, yeah. And a lot of like shirtless men pretending to be colonial people who were jacked, but knowing full well the average colonial person was a sickly dying individual. It's like a goddamn Beyonce video. Pretty much. There. And we'd be surprised if like all of a sudden all the dudes were like grinding on somebody. Anyway. <clears throat> Trishka, Trishka. The, yeah. that was the lead singer for single for her new album Cholera. Nice. Anyway, so Khrushchev is considered sort of an unknown quantity in Moscow, at least in the Moscow party circles in the early 1950s, because he's just been brought in. He doesn't really have much of a background, but people do know him from his work in the uh, in I was gonna call it in the Ukraine. I'm not sure if that's gonna offend nobody. Basically, on the exterior though. Nikita appears impetuous, obtuse, he's a rough-talking individual with an air of a buffoon about him. 
that's often made through his joking demeanor, through Stalin's, or when he's around Stalin's inner circle. So if anybody's ever watched the movie, one of the things was that he constantly made jokes, he would revise the jokes, he kept a list of the jokes that worked. That is the thing he actually did. Because that was his way of sort of feeling up the crowd, not literally, but sort of in a, a humor way. That is for real. For real. But one of the things, too, is that Khrushchev is fucking rabidly loyal to Stalin, originally at least. But inside, under that veneer. Inside oh yeah. the NFL. Yeah. Does Tom Brady kiss his son? Yes, he does. He did. A lot. Yeah, anyway. In a very disturbing way. Anyway. Under the veneer, though, Khrushchev does possess a sort of shrewd native intelligence. This is an ang- he has an agile mind, a drive, an ambition, and the ruthlessness that he needs to get the job done. Basically, in there, he had a hand to a point in some of the purges. He definitely had been either witness to it or had some sort of culpability to it. Now, I say some because, <laughs> fun fact, when Stalin would die, things started clearing house a little bit, but we'll get to that later. One of the things, too, that we think about with Khrushchev, and this is going to come into play a little bit when we're talking about him, is his ability to possess a resourcefulness, an audacity, and a good political timing, plus a showmanship that made him a common figure around Stalin. If basically stating, he was able to find a way to basically sort of worm his way in the circle and lock himself there, because granted, all of the people around Stalin were paranoid, power-hungry maniacs. (laughs) Like, that's not even a joke. That's literally just the truth. And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because anybody that wasn't that way, he had killed because Pretty they much. weren't that way. Yeah, and Stalin had very bizarre ways. I was reading up on him, and there's a book, too. Uh, is a book by, um, I'm trying to remember his first name, but Montefiore, who's his last name. And it's Stalin, Court of the Red Tsar. And I used the book for the later half of the research here, at least in the chapters that were more part- pertinent to what we were talking about. And he's very good at sort of detailing it out. In I did it on Kindle, and for some ungodly reason, the fucking footnotes don't exist, but apparently they do in the print version. So he did cite it. It's all there. It's just fucking really weird. Anyway. Shoo! That was that. So that basically puts him in a sort of, like, in a good position. I think he's trying to be the uh, up-and-comer, and it's definitely put him in a place where he's at least somewhat secure as long as Stalin is there. And he does have some power. You know, being the party boss of Moscow is a pretty fucking big thing, especially there. All right, number three, Georgi Malenkov. He's a member of the Organizational Bureau, also known as Org Bureau, from the Central Committee of the CPSU from 25 to 38. This position did provide Malenkov, just a little side note, with access to personnel files and allowed him to become intimately involved in purges of personnel. (laughs) He was... He was killing people left and right like a kid through a daisy field. Holy shit. Anyway, he was a member of the State Defense Committee and acting director of the SDC from 41 to 43. He was second secretary of the... And don't ask me what the fuck second and first secretary mean. I tried to figure it out, and their party structure is goddamn confusing. But he's the second secretary of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union from 48 to 52, and then finally the chairman of the Council of Ministers of the Soviet Union, basically the prime minister from 1953 to 55. So, and that kind of happened as Stalin was dying. A lot of the different changeovers are going to happen literally the day and the second day after this old man fucking drops dead. So, uh, seeing as the majority of Malenkov's files do remain indefinitely classified by Russian authorities, I found that one out the hard way. The only official personality assessment of Malenkov that we have comes from a personal retelling by by the British ambassador to the USSR, Sir William Goodenough Hater. Goodenough Hater? Goodenough! God damn it. What the fuck? Goodenough Hater. What the hell is that name? I don't know. 
basically while attending a British Labour Party's delegation to Moscow in 1954. Now, granted, this is after Stalin's death, but it still holds pretty true to the sort of person we're looking at here. According to Hayter, Malenkov appeared, quote, easily the most intelligent and quickest to grasp what was being said, often calling attention to the fact that Malenkov spoke, quote, no more than what was wanted, what he wanted to say. Basically saying he was a man of few words, but he was probably a man of high intellect. He was not an idiot. So, a... Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> way, to, way to fucking suck the energy out of the room. I'm there, listening, though. my friend. All right. So a lot of other notes also told of a man with a, quote, pleasant musical voice and spoke well-educated Russian. Now, granted, of course, if you if you are from Russia or if you are from any of the eastern countries around Russia, Russian is kind of the root language, and in certain cases, it has various differences. I want to say that, but, I mean, what what would you call it? It's Slavic would kind of be the base language? Uh, whatever. I'm not a linguist, so, well, I mean... What the fuck are you, then? What do you even do? So I'm just going to leave you and uh, <laughs> take care of the rest of the podcast yourself. I'm going to talk to myself for six and a half hours. <laughs> anyway, um, basically he was compared to, or when they com- kind of compare him to Khrushchev, he was also sort of present at those meetings at the same time. Malenkov was kind of considered a man with a, quote, more Western-oriented mind. So he wasn't I mean, like... He likes whips and horses, right? Maybe. <laughs> Yeehaw. Ride him, cowboy. Um, now, one of the things, of course, whenever we think of, like, Khrushchev, and we will talk about this a little bit probably when I do the Cuban Missile Crisis, is the fact that Khrushchev was a fucking banger of an individual, literally. He was loud. He was a boisterous motherfucker. He's basically me, but without the war crimes, or with the war crimes, rather. Don't cross Jake. <laughs> I mean, you can't. What does that mean? You can't. It's not recommended. Don't cross. Oh, I thought you meant basketball for a second. I said don't cross up, and I'm like, mm. you mentioned war crimes. I was trying to make a joke to say you oh. were like some sort of weird war crime man, but you fucked that hey, up, didn't you? The Hague. <laughs> You're so bad at this. I'm waiting for you to carry the joke. You can just sit there and stare at me. It wasn't funny. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Well, I'm trying to... Somebody's got to do their job. Every time I say something, you bitch at me for interrupting. Fucking... I say something. Do it. I can't just piss <laughs> it out of myself, anyway. man. Come on, though. I know. So, anyway. Uh, that kind of puts us on... He's... A lot of these people, if you've not noticed the pattern, a lot of these guys are kind of shrewdly smart. <laughs> Very shrewd. Shrewdly smart. Uh, next one is Vyacheslav Molotov. If you don't know Molotov, or if you recognize the last name, he was the guy... Who made a peace agreement with the Nazis in 1939, and then that came and bit him in the ass. Anyway, um, he was basically the second secretary of the communist or the CPSU. I'm just gonna keep calling it that from 22 to 1930. He was chairman of the Council of People's Commissars of the Soviet Union from 1930 to 1941, basically meaning he was sort of like the diplomat. And then he was minister of foreign affairs from 39 to 49. Um. And then first deputy chairman of the Council of Ministers of the Soviet Union from 42 to 51. So these names are really fascinating. I just, uh, when I hear them, I just think, wow. I know. It's a lot. Words. Honestly, like, <laughs> it's, you could, it's, like, when I think about it, it's probably the equivalent of, like, the State Department and Diplomat and Secretary of State or something like that. But they're, like, it's the like, Minister of the Foreign Affairs of the People's Working Party of the Eastern is, like, I don't, you are, shorten it down! <laughs> you're the Vice Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. That's a U.S. reference. Yeah, basically. The joint chair, the joint under-chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the Eastern Seaboard's Joint Chairman's Committee of Subcommittees. Western Kentucky. I hate myself. Anyway, 
Uh, and then, yeah, first deputy. So Molotov is somewhat different in that he's got a pathological mistrust of others, basically. He's quoting, of course, at one point in time that there were provocateurs everywhere. He he was quoted directly saying that they're here, they're there, they're everywhere. Everywhere. He I would not like them in a house. I would, I would not, not like, like them with a mouse. I do not like perpetrators. <laughs> perpetrators. <laughs> <laughs> it was so weird. He's like but... fucking Joe McCarthy with cabinets, but he's like... Like a goddamn... Like, You're a perpetrator? Man, it's like a goddamn Dr. Seuss thing from hell. Anyway... So, and one of the things, too, is that Winston Churchill himself... Winston Churchill himself... Winston Churchill him <laughs> Church him up. I had a fucking stroke. Give me a second, all right? Winston Churchill him up. Church him up. <laughs> anyway, so He's Church... He's Evangelicus pastor from Western Kentucky. <laughs> Western Kentucky. He's got some pretty radical views on gays. My name, my name is Winston Churchill him up. <laughs> uh, Churchill him up now. Yeah. Anyway. Nope. I need money to buy my seventh jet. <laughs> my seventh jet. I'm gonna plate that sucker in gold. I'm gonna do the Lord's work. What? <laughs> I need the jet. You don't get it. <laughs> I need the jet. No, no, Winston. You don't need the jet. I need it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Never mind. That'll get me in trouble. Okay. Get me in trouble. <laughs> the FBI is just slowly crouching up on him from behind the screen. Back to the service. Okay. Yep. So. uh uh, pathological mistrust. Churchill himself actually would describe Molotov as a quote man of outstanding ability and cold-blooded ruthlessness. Outstanding. Oh wow. That's, that's a, um. That's, a, that's like a sex letter from Stalin Miller. Pretty Ooh. much. That's. I see, boy. Yeah, and pretty much like Molotov's position was sort of weird because it was like you look at Molotov, he seems kind of like an old man. The, God damn, the he's. The movie Death of Stalin does a really good job of portraying him too. Is it, yeah. It's a very good. Uh, you, and they can, like, super self-centered, but also extremely smart, but also, like, kind of misguided. Well, actually, it's there's a, an interesting, delicate balance. Who was it? Was it Malenkov, I think it was, in the movie, who they were like, actually, he wasn't as aloofly stupid as they made him out to be. He was pretty smart, but they just made him look like an idiot. I'm like, you know what? I don't think anybody really is going to fucking well, docu points on that one. <laughs> I think the movie does a really good job of, like, showing that he's smart, but they made him, like, humorously stupid. I know, yeah. Like, he was so consumed with his own, like, yeah, shit that yeah, he didn't yeah. He's all like, high on his own fumes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. A lot of that, of course, was that he was an unapologetic supporter of Stalin and his role in Stalin's government. Even like, way what? after when Stalin was dead, when he was old and still doing shit with the Soviets in the 80s. Yeah, he was, he was a real hardliner, and that was kind of the problem he there. He wrote things like... Joseph Stalin is my zaddy. My zaddy? My collective daddy? Our daddy! Our daddy! He is our daddy! You cannot have mine! Send him to the concentration camp! He must learn to concentrate. Oh, cops coming. Anyway, okay. now we get to the big boy. The big boy. Yeah. I know it's a tough take, but I'm gonna I'm putting it out there. Speaking Fuck of the speaking of what's close is bad to Nazis, Lavrenti Beria. Um, he was Honestly, a minute. He could have been in that red. He could have been oh, in that regime. He would have done really well for buddy, himself. Buddy, you have no idea. He was Minister of Internal Affairs. He was the end, head of the NKVD from 38 to 45, and again in 1953. First Deputy Chairman of the Council of Ministers from March 5th to June 26th of 1953, primarily because I think after that he got fucking killed. I think. And then it was. Well, they, they portrayed it in uh in uh in the movie. In Death of Stone, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that movie. Yeah. Which honestly, you should probably watch again. It's a great movie. Anyway. I think it's it's totally worth a watch if you haven't seen that movie. Totally recommend it. Just for the lols. Not recommended enough. Yep. 
So, <clears throat> in a reality sense, though, he's considered by many to be some of the most ruthless and depraved of Stalin's inner circle. Like, there's no joke in that. Like, the things that this man has done is awful. Okay. Anyway, shout out to that. So, Beria is, again, it's, he's just a fucking shitty person. He's like Heinrich Himmler. He's like literally, the, he's just fucking bad. <laughs> I don't even know if you could compare, he's worse than Himmler. No, they're equally as terrible. Beria's worse, I think. Oh, yeah, you're not wrong. Um, So, definitely depraved. He's head of the NKVD, basically, man. He had the full control of Stalin's secret police. That means that you're talking people who were thought police. They were speech police. They were fucking... <laughs> yes. They were the dank police. And <laughs> they didn't do that. Anyway. <laughs> that was not a thing they Moving said. on. <laughs> they were definitely... That was definitely... The sound of the police was the sound of a car driving up in the whoop, middle of the whoop. night. That's the sound of an police. And them just kicking your goddamn door in. <laughs> you go into the gulag. Not even. I think they would take you to the woods and shoot you. Um, yeah, honestly, they probably... No, well, they'd have a show trial first. Not even. For some, they just didn't even try. Uh, that's true. They didn't for every one of them. Yeah, I know. Because there there's about 50 million. Wait, you can't do one for all of them. You can't. You just can't. You just can't, you just can't do it. Mean, you could. But you shouldn't. They, uh, but you did. Anyway. Yeah. Um, it's all fucked. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, just... just I want to bring this fact up because I think it's important to know. Just to, just to point this out again. I think it's important to remember that Stalin killed more people in his regime... Than Hitler ever dreamed of killing. That is true. That is true. Cause, well, wait, but he also I'm, killed people out of other countries, like in Ukraine. He wiped out a lot of fucking people. Just, well, and don't get me wrong. Like they're both fucking awful people. So I was gonna say, let's not let's not say like we're not saying Hitler's better in that. I'm not making an argument that Hitler's better. I just want to make that abundantly clear. I'm just saying that it just means if he wants to be better, he needs to get on Stalin's level. No. No. Nope. <laughs> he can't. I'm, Cause that little pussy shot himself. <laughs> isolated, isolated. Somebody isolated. <laughs> Washington Post. Washington Post. <laughs> no, of course we don't advocate for suicide, but in Hitler's situation, huh, well, I don't wish, I don't wish bad things on anybody. But do you wish bad things on Hitler? Let's get back to the anyway, podcast. Now we're both in a morally ambiguous situation. We really are. Let's get Nicely back at done. Stalin. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, Beria, with lack of a general term, is a monster. That's kind of where I would put him at. He is, without question, a fucking monster. That's fucking insane. No, and not even insane, because an insane person has no, like, understanding of what he's doing. Is where Beria understood all of it. He relished the power. He loved what he was and doing. And that's not insane. It's not insane. I mean, it's not insane in the membrane, that's for sure. Insane in the brain! Okay, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, you went there. <laughs> <laughs> we had to remember that shitty band from the early 2000s. Uh, yeah. Anyway, back to back to rape. Um, oh, whoa. Well, he did do that. Um, so, yeah. Oh, he, Jesus, that's fucking... He did, all this shit's so awful. We, it's going to take so much laughing. longer to get through it. I was fucking laughing, and all he did was say, and now back to the rape, and you make me sound like a fucking asshole. Yeah, no, I didn't mean to do that. We're both assholes. Anyway, yeah. No, we're not, though. We're not. Yeah, pretty much. We're not advocating for any of this shit. No, God, no. Shit's fucking awful. Holy shit, no. Now, when I was researching this, I was, like, I had to take steps away, because there was some shit that I just didn't put in, where I'm like, yeah, no, we can't do that. <laughs> That's an N.O. That's what we call a gold star moment. We try to keep it light here in this podcast, but... We try to keep it light in the studio, and sometimes, sometimes we go into eight parts of Watergate, and it's not light anymore. And I don't get to eat the salad. I don't know what happened. I mean... Patreon? 
OnlyFans? No, no. If we're doing something, it's going to be Patreon, not fucking OnlyFans. You do it on Robinhood. Listen, 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 listen. Nothing against the people that use OnlyFans to make money, okay? That's that's their hustle, all right? Hey, and if you're hustling nudes of yourself, well, maybe think of something else to do. What? what Draw if, pictures of cats. I don't know. Stop being fucking demeaning. What if people... Why do you care if people make money off themselves? I don't care. It's fine. It's like, fuck, man. Anyway, as long like, as it's Jesus. legal, it's fine. Anyway, so... Speaking of things that aren't legal, Beria. Um, so as head of the NKVD, Beria has a fucking finger literally in every pie. Every fucking pie. Because the NKVD... What did you say that? I think of Scary Movie 2, like the butler. Oh, God. Sticks his fucking pie. Ew. I gotta get it all mashed up for you. How could it? Oh, God, no. I don't even want to think about that. God damn it. Oh, that's Beria, but to everything in Russia. No, except with non-crippled up. hands. Um, yeah, Beria, though, had an immense amount of power because he basically was in control of what was considered a, pretty much a consistently running death squad, where if you were in Russia in the 50s and in the 40s and definitely in the 30s, and you did something that was against what Stalin perceived as being a communist, if it even was that to him, I wouldn't even give you... Sometimes I wouldn't give you a trial. They'd just haul you out in the middle of nowhere because there's a lot of open space in Russia and they just fucking plug you alongside five other people in a field. All right, I've got a hot take. Maybe not such a hot take. You know who I think would really look up to Beria and probably embrace some of his ideas and really wish he had someone above him who would be like more like Stalin? Mm-hmm. Dick Cheney. Oh, probably. <laughs> I feel like Dick Cheney, if he could have been Beria, would have been like... He looks like him. He... In he fucking, fucking looks way. like him. He no, just... in a real way, he almost looked like yeah, him. Yeah, but it's fucking weird. It's bizarre. Yeah. How how, how much they look like no, each other. No, it's scary. It's very scary. It's all of the above. It's very scary. <laughs> it's every fucking thing. All of it. When you circle the goddamn butt. <laughs> when you circle it, you circle again. You, you fill in the circle completely and fully so that the machine has a chance to check it. <laughs> no hanging chat. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of like the ACT scores, but that works too. I was just thinking back to voting. <laughs> I my mind is broken since the election. My mind has been deal. broken since fucking like the capital thing, and I'm like, oh, we're just not gonna deal with that, huh? Okay, <laughs> we're doing great. <laughs> Land of the free. Anyway, um, so anyway, um, Beria. Thank you. You want to pull a Lee Greenwood out here and just? We are going back to Russia. I would like to go there. Anyway, uh, Barry is a man. We're not traveling. No. So to put Barry in kind of a nutshell of his mentality and his squirming toad-like mind. This we're not traveling right now. No. Barry is a man of high intelligence and a penchant for sadistic brutality and ruthlessness. And I'm talking like he's not like the kind of bad guy who like if you ever think of a constant bad guy of a genocidal nature. He's not the kind of bad guy who gives the orders from his desk. No, and like how the, you know how like the concentration camp commandants kind of see the Jews as sort of like numbers and statistics? Beria himself would actually get his own hands dirty. That is, I think, in a way, puts him in a he rank. He likes getting his hands dirty. Oh, it was bad. Like he, okay, so one of the things that we know about him for sure is the fact that, although unbeknownst to people at the opening of 1953, Beria had used his power as the head of the NKVD to pursue a lot of sexual predator sort of angles. And I'm not talking women, I'm talking children, as well as women. He would rape people as a means of either blackmailing or as a means of dominating. And then basically, too, he had a weird little penchant where one of the things he would do was he would basically let a family not see their other family member who was in, like, a in a jail 
for like about two months. He would have that person executed, and then he would basically just have like people write false letters to the family, making them think this person was alive. Or he would just lie outright to families when they'd ask like how their so and so was doing. He'd go, "Oh, she's fine," even though she's like. It's like in a shallow grave in the middle of nowhere. Like, that's how kind of and fucked... Unmarked fucking grave, just... I mean, in fact, one of the things that was pointed out was that he actually may have murdered people personally because they had said his DACA... I keep calling it DACA, but I'm not sure if it's Dacha or not. It's his, like, home, or it's considered, like, a home or, like, a summer home or something like that. His they found evil prison They found the house. people in his goddamn flower bed, like a serial killer. Like, that is something that has happened. I don't remember from which specific story. I'm sorry that I'm phasing out that. I will find the story and put it on the website. But that is something that was said to have happened. They found the remains of people who he, they think he may have personally murdered. Fucking hate this man And so he's much. terrible. And he gets what's fucking coming to him later. But he's... The thing is, like, this guy's so fucking awful that most people have, not, have probably had no fucking clue who this man is. Yeah, true, true. And one of the things to point out is that at this point in time, too, as we're starting in 1953... Barry has the person with the most to lose. So keep that in mind as we go forward. Um, He is definitely the one looking to take control from Stalin following his inevitable death, though. He wants that. He wants that doge so bad. Poggers. Thank God he Am I cool it. yet, Twitch? Thank go God fuck he, yourself! The guy doesn't fucking get it. I can't even imagine. Well, he did for a short bit. He did, but he didn't do much with it. Um, So, your all-time favorite... The man with the brass balls, Georgie Zukov himself. Okay, but honest to God, his scenes in Death of Stalin oh, are fucking, fucking hilarious. <laughs> if you Even if you don't watch Death of Stalin, I'm please gonna, go out and fucking YouTube. I'm going to go represent the Red Army over at the buffet. He's Have a good time, ladies. <laughs> I, 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 I love that actor. My, my favorite one was where he was talking about... Uh, whether he can handle, uh... Where he can handle the fucking... Yeah, he's just like... Area. I fucked... I fucked Germany. I thought I can handle this motherfucker. <laughs> I know, what did he say? I... I fucked... I fucked Nazi... Or I think he said, I fucked Germany. I think I can handle a fat lump of flesh in a fucking yeah. waistcoat. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie that so much. That is my favorite goddamn line of the We movie. should... We should get a friends group together to watch that as a... As we need to... That would be funny. I'd watch it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd watch that in a heartbeat. It's so fucking mm-hmm. good. I think I own that on Amazon Prime, actually. You good. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. So Zhukov, in a reality sense, he's the chief of the general staff of the Red Army from January 15th. Of 41 to July 29th of 41. If you're wondering why it's so fucking short, well, Germany decided to go in there and fuck things around. So he got kind of, as in Stalin's case, a lot of the generals in the beginning of the war either got shot or got <laughs> reassigned, if you were lucky. If you were really fucking lucky. Zukov um, was a lucky one. Oh, he was very lucky. But the way that his personality runs is almost exactly as the actor in the movie, if you think of like what kind of person he would be. Um, he was military governor of Soviet-occupied Germany from 45 to 46. A leg gap in between from 41 to 45 was mostly just, like, in, in front commands. That Basically, he was just in the field most of the time. But there was too much for me to put in there, and I'm not going to go through all of them. Um, Minister of Defense of the Soviet Union from February 9th of 1955 to October 25th of 1957. Put that one in there because... So when Stalin dies, he's Minister of Defense, right? Or does that... When Stalin dies at that point in time, he is... Kind of in the middle, because okay. Zhukov got kind of fucked over by Stalin, because Stalin didn't like him being so popular. Because Zhukov was like pretty much like um, 
Uh, he's a little bit like Eisenhower at the time, or like Patton, if you think of is those he, kind of people. Is he kind of like uh, MacArthur? Like Douglas yeah, he's MacArthur? like MacArthur in yeah. that kind of stardom, where he's like, you're the guy who took back you know the Pacific from the mm-hmm. Japanese, or you know he's like Eisenhower or Bradley or any of those World War II yeah. generals. I mean, yeah, it, he's that kind of person. Um, and basically, he is seen by Stalin as being kind of a threat because he's so powerful. Because the army has got the capability, for fucking sure, to roll some tanks up into Red Square and take things over, because they definitely could. They're rolling up. They're rolling up. We rolling. We hate it. So trying to catch me riding dirty. Commie. Uh, <laughs> Try to catch me riding commie. You know, we bring the comedy. I don't know where we bring it. We definitely don't bring it here. <laughs> I, I just brought it. Riding commie. That's some fucking gold shit. Put that on the put that on the Yakov Shmirnov album. In Russia, no. songs write you. What happened to him? Is he alive still? I don't know. God, I hope he is. Bless him. Yakov, we love you. I think he's Yugoslavian, isn't he? Something like that. I don't know. I don't think Yakov's actually a Russian name. I, I no. I you know I'm gonna get myself in trouble saying that. Anyway, I I know anything about nationalities down there. That shit will cause some tensions. Well, at the beginning of this fucking podcast, I called you a Jewish pop star. <laughs> so. You know, what? and I will take that proudly, but I will not wear it. <laughs> Jakob. Anyway. So, Zhukov is a man basically bolstered by his military successes against the fascists in the Great Patriotic War. Yes, I did decide to go all in on calling it that. The Great Patriotic War. That's what they call it. They have the best names for shit over there. They do. Zhukov is pretty much in the process of transitioning out of his wartime position as he was suffering kind of a fall from grace, as I said before, in the eyes of Stalin, following hinting criticisms because Zhukov didn't like him. Hinting criticisms was a thing that happened. Of course, you, when you hint criticisms, you better be fucking careful, man. See, Zukov was one of those people that he really can't kill because the public would be too pissed if he did. You would... It would basically be like, you could kill him, there might be an uproar, but if you acted enough, if people knew Stalin would act, and the NKVD started clamping down with Barry at the helm of it, oh, nobody was going to say a goddamn word. Everybody was too fucking scared. I mean, but I'm saying it wouldn't have been wise. Oh, no, it would not have been Zukov, wise. Which it would is not why he been. did not do it. He no, might not have liked Zukov, he, but he did not want to deal with what would have happened if he did kill him because too oh, many yeah. people enjoyed who he was. Pretty much. Well, in a way, yeah. Even though he did have some people who would dislike him, I mean, I think he was just respected in general because, as I'll get into, he was definitely somebody during the war who was respected by his men under him, even though he didn't get to along well with the other commanders because he was a very combative kind of dude. Um, oh no shit! No, I mean, movie. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But I mean, like in the reality, if it's not oh, even like I a persona, it, yeah. it's just a real thing he did. Um, so he's suffering that fall from grace, following hinting. Okay, coming from the general staff officer. Um, with his career in Beria's crosshairs too, because Beria hated him too. Because Beria, if Stalin wanted somebody gone, Beria was the guy he would turn to. Um, <laughs> they started accusing him of something called Bonapartism. Oh, like I don't know what that means. Our Napoleon. Pretty much. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. You may need to look that up. But um All right, I'll look it up. Yeah, and they, they kind of accused him of this by the and the NKV did D Jesus. The NKVD did. And Zhukov kind of became this important player in the game from then on as things started unfolding, especially one with a hearty anger for that fatty rapist of a human being, because in the end he's gonna be the guy who definitely puts the muscle in. Well, I tell you what, the uh, the dictionary definition of Bonapartism, according to Google, is the political movement in France that aimed to restore the French Empire under the House of Bonaparte. That doesn't help us. I'm Appar- imagining. Uh, apparently, they're saying he 
supported no, 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 no. I don't think it was that. I think what I remember them saying, in the at least in what the CIA had put in their stuff, was that um he kind of was over-exaggerating the number of, like, Germans there were, the threat that it was, and, uh, and therefore putting his position higher by lying about it. But then again, that's such a fucking, like, asinine concept. I don't know how you could possibly prove that. But hey, show trial. Anyway, um, so personality files is concerned. Zhukov is considered a person of basically sort of Mixed traits. I said two traits because in one ah, way... Man. What? The term had been later used more generally for a political movement that advocated a dictatorship or authoritarian centralized state with a strongman charismatic leader based in an anti-elitist rhetoric, army support, and conservatism. Oh, okay. That actually is probably more on, on down-to-earth than what I had, but uh, yeah... I know some point they did also accuse him though of what I had said though. Oh, they no, said, I believe it. We're yeah. like you bolstered how bad the threat was because you wanted to make yourself look better. Um, I believe it easily. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Anyway, so Zhukov's personality, what we're looking at here, and I, like I said, he's a mixed trait kind of dude because him in work and him outside of work is kind of two different people in a really weird way. But uh, according to what I was able to get from the CIA under the FOIA Act, Zhukov was described as quote a yeah, person. Yeah. Actually, shout out to the CIA for being so open about a lot of this shit. Even though some of it was censored, it was definitely helpful. Wait, did you actually submit a FOIA request? I submitted it and also was able to use some stuff that they just had there hanging around. No bullshit actually submitted a FOIA request? I'm proud of you. That's some hardcore research shit right there. Well, I'd fucking go hard. For those of you who don't know, Jake, what is a FOIA request? What's the Freedom of Information Act. Basically, we passed that in the early 2000s, I believe it was. Yes, it was, yes. And it was basically to state that any American could request information on just about anything from their government. And they technically have to give it to you. Whatever's legal to give. a certain point, because some things are still too classified. Although, if you request shit on aliens, I've heard they don't get, they're not very receptive about that. Actually, there's a thing in the CIA website that says, UFOs, are they real? <laughs> That's literally a fucking... And they have a series of documents. I'll put it. I'll put it up on the website for people to go to. I shit you not, it's there. Shit, no bullshit. I think uh, when when uh, when it gets to spooky season again this next time, I think maybe we should do some haunted stuff. Maybe we'll... Maybe we'll enlist Spooks? Some- some UFO stuff. We can talk about some UFOs. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, not to not to cross not to uh, talk shit about our uh, friends there from California with the least haunted podcast because I they, hope they get back. They to do it. a hope fantastic right. job. What do you mean? I hope they're all right. Oh, they are, they they are. I've uh, they've been uh, they've been liking some of the things I've been posting on Instagram and from the from some of the, the talks I've had with them. I think they're doing well. Yeah. So you had a little bit of a fireside chat with them. No. How are the kids? How's the wife? <laughs> chat. You smoking? So you smoking some? <laughs> no. Anyway, that's a joke. That's a joke. All right. Anyway, so uh, CIA's assessment of him at the time, and I have, actually have the document number here, but I'm not going to read it out because it's too goddamn long. Um, he is quoted as a person who will not stop for anything, pushing that Zukov's very name generates fear amongst other generals. That's how much clout this guy's got. You fuck with him, and holy shit, you have a problem on your hands. He's got energy. He's got he's got the big dick energy, literally. That dragging that dick so big from Moscow to Berlin sort of energy. Um, <laughs> so actually, indeed, Zhukov was not really considered a serious people person. This one comes from Roger Reese's article on Zhukov from HistoryNet.com. I wish I was able to find the base uh, better thing on that, but sometimes this shit was hard to find. So you'll just have to forgive us on that one. This was this was sort of a tough one for Zhukov, but 
without getting the whole book and having to read it and i just didn't have the time we had like about a week and a half to do this one um so but in his personal file or in his personal files in his personal life zukov kind of never was the one person to drink to excess so he did drink which is kind of a russian like you do that it, it's it's a Basically, drinking in Russia is almost like a greeting and a leaving. Like, it's a social norm you have to do. If uh, if you don't, people will be suspicious of you. Um, But he did drink, but just not to well, excess. We had that, uh, that we're not going to name the professor, but Jake and I both had a professor in college that talked about having to drink bottles of vodka so other people wouldn't drink them on him. Because they would literally steal the vodka and drink it otherwise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a dark time for that country. Um... So, one of the things, too, is that he was not known, really, to have many, if any, close friends. And that may have just been because he was in the military and the fact that he was in Stalin's Russia. That close friends tend to drag you down. Um, but he was often considered an impatient and caustic individual by others around him. Especially if it was commanders in the military. Because Zhukov would take great pains to lead and inspire his subordinates by example. But he was not afraid to resort back to formal command authority in fear if he had to. Which basically meant, like, how he would work was that even at a senior officer level, Zhukov would ruthlessly relieve, demote, reassign, or arrest any general who showed incompetence, cowardice, or negligence. So it's like if you owned a Denny's franchise, right? Yeah. Multiple Denny's franchises. If you had a shitty general manager who wasn't pulling his weight... You'd, you'd have like, him shot. Oh, you can do this one. I was like, no. Get the fuck. Gone. Pretty much. You Gordon yeah. Ramsay'd him into oblivion, pretty much, was how things would work. Because... Right, someone else would come in and be like, oh, you got this. You got this. You will let me down. Get the fuck out. That, wish that, that was probably you when you used to run the McDonald's, right? I was not the store leader, but I wasn't. I was a shift leader, yes. Were you the guy who would stand up on the soapbox with a red banner behind you going, we'll do it for the workers! For the people! Nah, was, <laughs> and every high school student was confused as to why the fuck you got that flag. I was informing any unions. Nah, I was just nah, doing my because you know what would happen. McDonald's would come down there with strike breakers and kill everybody well, in the we room. We were a corporate McDonald's to begin with, anyways. We were owned by like, a person who owned like 10 or 13 of them. Well, no, yeah, there's the regional managers and stuff. I knew a guy who used to own the Hardys, but that's not an important story right now. Well, the um, McDonald's is just less and less of them. They're not like as popular. Most of them are franchised out. True, true. Um... So, one of the things, too, that um, Zhukov kind of was, like, fearless in that regard, was he would literally, if you were fucking up on the battlefield in the middle of conflict or combat, he would fucking bounce your ass fast. You would, and then you would replace you with somebody else, or he might command himself, depending on how the situation might uh, shake down. But although his ruthlessness would elicit fear amongst other generals, this aggressive position actually generated a lot of favor from his rank-and-file soldiers, because one of the things he did do during the war was that he got on... The supply and demand, like, angle logistics of the army got on their ass about not supplying their troops because, you know, it's a massive country and the army was really scattered and all that shit. And a lot of his soldiers really liked him for that. So he actually had a lot. That, when you talk about him being popular, he was definitely popular. Um, right, so number seven here is Anastas McCoyan. He is Minister of Foreign Trade from 1938 to 1949 and then again from 1953 to 1955. He is a non-Russian, Armenian, and Stalin circle of power. He is dubbed as a survivor due to his ability to connect to Stalin's own innate Georgian pride. Both of them non-Russian. Yes. Big deal, actually, because one of the things that he was doing a, they said that he was doing a, he was doing a toast with Stalin, and they literally said to hell with all these Russians. <laughs> That's ball as fuck, really. Well, and Stalin is just 
I mean, it's amazing he got the power he did while being non-Russian. Is oh yeah, being a Georgian for a lot of them is kind of like coming from Kentucky into Russia, because in Russia, no, I mean, I'll explain what I mean by that because Russia in of itself, when we think of like the USSR, Russia is not the Soviet Union. Back in the USSR. Thank you. <laughs> we now get to get sued by both Ringo and Paul McCartney. And the estates of all the other people. Hey, and Michael Jackson, who also own their music. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. That'll be his disposition. He did not touch that child. Anyway, Honestly, moving on. It'd be an honor to be sued by Michael Jackson's estate. Cause he's, fuck I was going to say, he's dead. I was going to say, he can't get sued unless the chimpanzee. I said his estate. Chimpanzee. Maybe Blanket will sue me. Blanket. Blanket just wants a regular life, man. He wants to stop being called, like, Duvon or whatever. Or maybe Paris will sue me. Anyway. Um, so one of the things was that, yeah, in, in so for non-Russian listeners, if there are any <laughs> anymore, um, one of the things that makes a big deal in Russia and the Soviet Union is where you come from. See, as you're probably aware, Russia and Ukraine, Russia, Georgia, Russia, Armenia, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, any of the outer sort of, I want to say not peripheral countries, but other countries making up the USSR... They're not Russia. And in a lot of cases, too, Russians were kind of seen as the hoity-toity assholes of the Soviet Union, and they were disliked by a lot of the other ethnic groups. So something to be part of is that, you know, being a Georgian to Stalin was a big deal. It wasn't like, you know, and I'm not talking like Memphis, or Atlanta? Atlanta. Georgia? Yes. (laughs) Georgia. I'm so confused. <laughs> Sorry, I was I almost fucking mixed up Memphis, Tennessee. Oh my god. I almost had a fucking moment there. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So anyway, uh Georgian Pride aside, according to Simon Sebag Monafior, whose um book actually I was able to read the last chapter of, which was actually actually really good, um, McCoyan was considered a quote slim, circumspect, or prudent, wily, and industrious kind of man. So all of those things together, being the Minister of Foreign Trade, that's kind of a good deal. Because you need to be working with both companies and factories, firms and plants, and all this other shit. And yeah, if anybody's ever worked in factory jobs, there tends to be a little bit of strong arming going around, at least in the 1930s and 40s. Um, like a lot of his counterparts, though, McCoyan is considerably intelligent is a considerably intelligent individual. And that is amplified by the fact that he maintained a confident knowledge of English and German. He was able to send him know, besides Russian and, you know, Armenian, he's able to know uh, English and German, which is a pretty big deal. Um, additionally, the McCoyne was notably one that was not afraid to engage in heated argument against Stalin, or with Stalin, which, that requires some balls. Yeah, Holy shit. Um, because, yeah, ah, man, you if you were the one guy who clapped la- or first, stopped clapping first, oh, you were fucked. You were fucked fast. That was it. Um, one of the things, too, that actually made him kind of most amiable, because Stalin actually was noted as liking people who had the the bravery to argue with him. Because it was foolish and stupid, but you thought it was brave, whatever that's worth. It but, was um, brave, but you, you might die. Yeah, no, in most cases you probably would. Um, and although Stalin would refer to him as a, quote, duckling in politics, basically meaning he was kind of a like a young guy he didn't know what he was doing, or at least politically young, he was somebody who kind of knew how to run the system. Um, but although he was a Stalin loyalist in 53, his position in relation to the purges of the 1930s meant that McCoyan's personal, or sorry, meant that McCoyan's 
person, according to academician Haight Des Moines, Haight Des Moines, Haight Des Moines, basically said that he symbolized evil mass murders in an atmosphere of fear. So regardless of how smart he may have been, he was still balls deep in this thing all the way. One of the things, too, that was pointed out was that he also would attract some enemies from that, especially later. Because when things started getting a little sketchy for the people who were part of Stalin once he died, we start seeing people starting to turn on each other to try and defer the blame as to who was doing what. So, uh, okay, we get to my fun one. It's Vasily, our boy. Oh, God. oh yeah. Fucking oh, God. I feel so bad for him, actually. He's really, really kind of a sad story. So, son of Joseph Stalin, who was born March 21st of 1921 and died 19th March 1962. Jeez. Yeah. He's often, I, I noted this one, it may be my, uh, it might be my um, circumspection here, but um, he's often considered the sort of shunned and ignored son of Stalin. Not, never mind the guy who shot himself and failed, never mind the guy who was fucking captured and his dad just said, keep him. <laughs> he's the living son. We're going to focus on him today. Um, but uh, yeah, he was kind of really fucking ignored. And Vasily actually began his super difficult life being raised almost exclusively by his nanny, following the suicide of his mom, whom his dad caused her to do that, by uh, basically shit-talking her in a party, and then she went and killed herself. So, that was a real story. That is a real story. Would you have anything to add? You're looking at me like you're confused. No, I'm thinking that's fucking awful. I don't know what to say to that. Poggers. Anyway, um... (laughs) What? I don't know. Anybody who plays, anybody who does streaming will know what that is. Um, I'm trying to be cool for the young people. We're not there yet. I don't think we're gonna get that. But... No, we're not. We're talking about Billy Graham and shit. I don't think we're gonna get anywhere near that. Um, uh, started. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that's also equally sad is that after the suicide of his mom, because it hit him pretty fucking hard, he started Obviously. alcoholism at the age of 13. He was getting some work in. Holy shit. Like, according to Rosemary Sullivan's Stalin's daughter, the extraordinary and tumultuous life of Svetlana Alyueva, Alyueva, I have problems with it, all right? Get off my fucking back, Dad. Svetlana A. (laughs) basically said that following the death of his mother, Joseph basically ceased to visit to his children. Any of his children. He ceased visiting any of his kids, leaving only the nursemaid and head of Stalin's security to take care of them. And the lucky bastard who got Vasily the head of Stalin's security basically just kind of became his, like, big brother, literally. Like the big brother representative for him in a really kind of fucked way. Interesting. Yeah. Big brother's big scissors. <laughs> really fucked up version of that. Yeah, know? a really fucked up version of that. Um, yeah, as an adult, Vasily's life did not get any better. Surprise, surprise. Actually, during the war, he started active service at the 16th Fighter Regiment stationed in Moscow. Uh, following transfer in 1941, he had changed his name, attempting to try to do combat service on the front. And basically, his comrades kind of saw through that shit, and they knew that he was Stalin's dad, and they all hated him. His dad? You mean Stalin? Yeah, no, you know, yeah, son, sorry. <laughs> Stalin's son. He's Stalin's, Stalin's dad. dad. Stalin <laughs> is also his dad, but also his son. Anyway, yeah, so they saw Vasily as being the son of Stalin, and they were all just like, fuck this guy, I'm not even gonna try. Because they all assumed he was a rat. 
I mean, for kind of good reason and some justification here. But, um... Yeah, make me, you don't want to fuck around with Stalin's son? Yeah, this fucking stupid kind of, like... I almost want to say... I almost want to call him spoiled, but I really don't want to call him that because I really don't know. But it definitely comes off that way as sort of that kind of person. Anyway, um... One of the things, too, that I have to note here, which kind of lowers my my feeling bad for him, is that around 1942, Vasily was sent back to Moscow. He was apparently requested and in order to inspect conditions of the Air Force defenses there, because the Germans were still around Moscow at this point, so that was kind of a thing they needed to have done. <laughs> so why not send Stalin's son back? Well, anyway, eventually, Vasily got bored, apparently, and, uh... And he decides to just act like a jackass. <laughs> Around April of fucking 1943, Vasily decided to make an overflight along the Moskva River, which actually kind of, I think kind of flows through Moscow. Okay. And he just decided that it would be fun, whatever reason, to drop some live ordnance in the river. He ended up shooting the plane down, injuring himself and killing the fucking flight instructor at the same time. Yeah. And he got in trouble for it. Surprise, surprise. Not very great. It's definitely a PR oopsies. Well, they made fun of that in uh, Death of Stalin when he, he's the hockey coach. No, that's something entirely different. Oh, God, but, there's more? Yeah. So, uh, following the war, Vasily did take up an interest in sports, as you said. Also, I'm not... All that shit's fucked. I'm a, no, no, no it's all fucked, yeah. all of it. And it's like, he's kind of like a bumbling moron, but at the same time, I almost feel bad for him for being in a shitty situation. Because the way, when he comes into the pitcher, pitch, Jesus, when he the comes pitcher, into I know the, he drinks, but yes. Yeah, <laughs> no, when he comes into the bottle later, um, when he comes into the picture later, he is terrified of his dad. And it all kind of explains sort of what he does when he shows up, um, that kind of makes us feel bad for him. Um, but he was particularly fond of ice hockey, which is sort sort of the national Russian pastime because it's frozen 75% of the year. Um, and the frozen water of yeah. the Russian coastline. And all of it. <laughs> Most of the ocean is just solid. Anyway, he did help to develop the a team. fucking non-port cities there. Sorry. No, they do have some port cities. Only for 25% of the year. Um, <laughs> basically, though, he did help to develop a team to represent the Red Air Force, which is called VVS Moscow. And so he's bringing in Anatoly Tarasov, who is actually to become the father of Russian ice hockey. So he is big, fucking big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um... But, of course, him and Tarasov... See, Tarasov was the player coach for VVS Moscow's inaugural season from 46 to 47. But following uh, a couple of problems, basically Tarasov fucked off because they couldn't see eye to eye. Anyway, so, team's death in 1950, the airplane carrying them crashed and killed everyone on board. Wait, but, so you're telling me the Air Force hockey team died in a plane crash? What I'm telling you is that Russian planes do indeed crash. Yeah, and Leonard Skinner can survive fucking, a plane crash. But that sad fucking irony. That is very sad that, fucking irony. That is the fucking Air Force hockey team. Have you ever heard of the Titanic, by the way? Crash. Have you ever heard of the Titanic? Yes. Unsinkable. That bitch gone. Anyway. <laughs> so the irony there is just fucking awful. No, the irony is Jesus. fucking awful. And it wiped out their entire team, so they had to play with a lot of backups. But surprisingly, they won. Quite a lot, so I don't know if the testament. How did Vasily not die in that? He wasn't on the plane. Oh. Because he's Stalin's son, and surprisingly enough, weird little fact: Stalin, his dad, had a deathly apparent fear of airplanes. Oh. It was oddly, uh, omnipotent. Was he scared of airplanes, or do we not know? I don't think so. I I don't know if it was that he was just on other business. They really, at least from the book and the time that I had available, I didn't go into why. 
because that was also something that because of the person he was and the way censorship worked, you're not gonna always learn that shit. That's sort of the thing we're rock- running fair. up against. So anyway, um, uh, and then of course his dad's death in 1953, Vasily basically divested himself from the team, but that basically that's sort of where it leaves us off. It's kind of interesting that like, <clears throat> wouldn't you think maybe like and I don't mean this like in a good way like it like that he was like I don't mean like that he was like happy that his father died, but wouldn't you think he'd feel kind of freed? Because don't you think he lived most of his life not being able to meet the expectations of his father to the point where, like, when his father is no no longer around to judge him, wouldn't you think he would, like... I think I think if it... It depends, because the way that Stalin sort of created himself was the idea of any cult leader, that once he's gone, that group is gone. And ideally, I don't think Russia... I don't think Stalin wanted to take Russia down with him when he died, but... There, you would think that it would have made him feel a little bit more free, but it seemed to do the opposite. Oddly, I will go into detail well, about think, what happens, but I think maybe for Fasili it might have been more like, now I can never earn his respect, like that but... or yeah, that or it's just too. I mean, to be honest, for what it's worth, again, we talk about history or, and we talk. Oh, sorry, I, oh. I I just had something I wanted to finish off. Go ahead, yeah. When you had, like, something that you're fighting for that long, do you know how to live without it being there? Oh, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. he, he spent his whole life, like, living up to those things. So, like, what is he supposed to do now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's... Uh, we could talk about that, like, modern Russia right now. What we're, they're dealing with right now with Putin and the fact that he brings a stability that a lot of the... We almost call them boomers in that country, remember, then uh, kind of look back to fondly because everything after it was kind of, like, tumultuously confusing. But, yeah, I mean, the way that... When Stalin died, he left a huge gap, but he left a fucking wake of destruction that his family had to deal with in the end. Yeah. And that kind of brings us to the person he actually loved, surprisingly, which is Svetlana. Svetlana! Svetlana! (laughs) I actually tried to look up if that happened. Apparently not, but there's a time where (laughs) they chased... I think it it was more of a metaphor than anything else. It's so funny, though. It's so fucking funny. That scene from Death of Stalin... They're running through the woods trying to get... I'm here! <laughs> so just so you don't... Just in case you don't know. So basically, in Death of Stalin... This is not going to spoil a lot of the movies. just the fucking scene. Uh, but essentially... They all know that Stalin loves Svetlana the most. So they wanted to get, like, her, like, blessing to be like, the next leader. So you have, like, five or six middle-aged men running through the woods. Not room. even middle-aged. Like, old yeah. men. <laughs> Screaming, Svetlana! Trying to Svetlana! get... <laughs> trying to get her because she's basically the one person that could possibly broker some sort of power and i really think that it was some sort of like it was a metaphor it was was that was goddamn funny it was a fucking hilarious oh it was fucking hilarious anyway so svetlana is kind of the person that yeah stalin this was literally it to put it in a better context this is the only person that stalin ever actually truly loved speaking of which i'm gonna put a picture then this may skeeve you a little bit, but not in a gross way. Was it, There's a picture of, of Svetlana when she was a kid, and she'd always sit on her dad's lap because that's what you know, children did back then. Okay. There's a picture of them in Stalin's doctor. I think it's at Kuncevo. I think that's how it's pronounced. Kuncevo? I don't know. What's going to happen? Get to the- She's <laughs> sitting on Beria's lap. Oh. Oh, yeah. And Beria is... Oh, dude, the picture is super fucking unsettling. Like, I'm... Beria, he has these, like, 
I don't know if he has mirrored glasses, but he's got those like full rim, like yeah. old like like accountants glasses from the twenties, yeah. and you can't see his eyes. God they are reflected back. Motherfucking Harvey Weinstein. No, he is the Jeffrey Epstein of fucking terrible oh, people. God. He's the Jeffrey Epstein before Jeffrey Epstein. But he also commanded a, a legion of fucking murdering political officers. So. Oh, he also had a hand to do in the Canyon Massacre of 1939 or 1940. Just a little fun fact on that I found out. Um, I didn't know it, but I didn't know. So let's talk about some of this. Svetlana! Anyway. So, she... Was born in 1926 and actually died in 2011. Well, goddamn. Would you like to know time. where she died? New York City. Nope. What? Richmond Center. I'm sorry. Richland Center, Wisconsin. Actually, I think I did know that. I forgot about it. She but... left. I was floored. I was in the middle of like a break when I was doing some subbing the other day. Yeah. And I'm like, what? 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 <laughs> I wrote it. I was floored. Like an hour and a half, two hours away from you? Uh, yeah. I was floored. I was so floored by that, and it was like, what the fuck, what? Like, I assume she would have died, like, yeah, in New York, or in, like, in, in anywhere other than there, or Philadelphia, any of the major population centers, not Richland Center in Wisconsin, yeah. down in Richland County in the southwest part of the state. What they're goddamn fucking known for now is the city of Setlana, Stalin, dotted. I mean, they, what was funny about that was the book that was, what, that Montefiore... That Montefiore? I don't know if it's Montefiore or not. That dude. That guy that I t- was reading, mm-hmm. he talked in the end and said, they don't know where she's living, but in the Midwest was the nickname that they gave it. I'm like, oh. Oh, yeah. yeah. We are the Midwest. They didn't know. That, she might have done that on purpose, honestly. No, she did. She went completely in anonymity and changed her last name. That because that of reasons that we could probably understand. Yeah. So, anyway. um, So, she was born to Natazeda. Yes, I said that correctly. Not Azeta. In 1926, that is her birth mother. That is the woman who ended up shooting herself. Alongside her brother, Vasily. Svetlana was basically raised this by... This fucking the... picture. I know! Force choking the... Yo, I know, it's so weird because it's such a loving relationship for such a fucking heinous monster. Yeah, but that's such an awkward hug. He's like choking her while hugging Yeah, I know, so for the that listener... That is the hug of Papa Stalin. So for the listener, the picture that Lucas is showing me is a picture... Where, what is it from? Madison.com? Is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. Is, um... That it's Svetlana when she's about, like, probably 12 or 13 or 14. But she's definitely a kid still. Not not an adult. And he's, like, doing that little, like, I put his arm around her, like, kind of, like, maybe coughing her on the cheek. He looks like she, he is going to give her the people's elbow. Yeah. Like, that is what it looks like. It's so fucked. It's, it's definitely kind of sketchy. Um, so Svetlana, a lot like Vasily, though, was raised by the family nanny. And so, following the suicide of her mom, Svetlana and Vasily were placed fully in the care of that nanny. But, unlike her brother Vasily, Stalin would show far more affection to her than her brother. Which definitely has some... Hey, if, you are, if you're a burgeoning parent out there and you have kids, um, love each of them equally and don't fucking do that, okay? Because I've had to deal with children where parents don't love their kids and it fucks them up, okay? Alright? Don't do that. Stop it. Get some help. Michael Jordan, talking about drugs. McDonald's. Jesus That's an actual thing. I'm going to have to show you that video later. Anyway, so as a student at Moscow University, she was viewed by many of her classmates as the, quote, poor little rich girl, and who arrived at school every day in a chauffeur, chauffeur, 
Chauffeur-driven limousine. Chauffeur. I like it. I'm going to call it chauffeur from now on. Chauffeur. Fuck it. A chauffeur-driven limousine. God damn it. You're Midwesterner as the day. Die, you're chauffeur limousine. Chauffeur. As a limo there. And you're... Chauffeur. Oh, fuck. I just... What you got there? Who's the guy driving your limo there? A uh, chauffeur? Mm. Oh, no. Anyway. Uh, and she was... I mean, she was one who kind of did attempt to make friends, though. She often would share lunch with other children, which, considering that it's Stalin's Russia, is a fucking big deal. <laughs> Yeah, did you know a lot she, of people starving out there. Did you know she was also known as the little princess of the Kremlin? Of yeah. Because yeah. she, she was very much born into the seat of kind of being Stalin's favorite child. And in a way, I do think that in the movie where she's kind of seen as sort of like the the disconnected, spoiled child is kind of accurate, but in the same time kind of not. Because of the way that her, like, the way she portrays herself in memoirs, it's not quite that... Like, she's not, like, sneering her nose up at other people, but she's just more a product of the environment she grew up in. And this is kind of where you have to separate the kids from the dad. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, she... I mean, but a lot of people just I'm, had I'm, problems. I'm thinking a lot about her right now. She seems like she was actually very normal. She was. She was actually extremely normal, which is very strange. But, um... She might be the most normal person in this whole fucking story by miles. Yeah, basically. The only person secondary to her was Vasily, but he had alcoholism. He's basically like everybody else in the Midwest. Um, So, basically, though, Svetlana had that... Also, I won't stand yeah. for you Midwest slander. I won't. That's not everybody in the fucking Midwest, you asshole. That's most of us. <laughs> no, it's not. 20%. Okay, I give that False. one. False. I'll give 20%. Anyway. So, one of the things, too, that obviously made that difficult for Svetlana to connect to, I would say, more regular people if you can call it that, yeah. is the idea of what is considered, quote, that the, there's a barrier, quote, that separates royalty from those that they rule. You can be... It's kind of like saying if I took... If Jeff Bezos had a son that wasn't a robot, um, or, or no, that would be more an Elon Musk thing. So let's do that. It's an Elon Musk, if he, did have, if he had a regular son that wasn't a robot, and he sent him to school in the inner city. Or he sent him to school at a public school. Kind of like that. Yeah. It's going to be hard to make friends. Mm-hmm. People will see that kid for what his dad does. And if your dad is a fearful tyrant of a large country that is also a massive military power, you may not want to be friends with her just in case things go bad. You know, or if Beria comes lurking around looking for kids to... I think it's more like you don't want to be friends with her because if you, you could make fox. her cry, you will fucking die. Your whole family will be dismantled, pretty much. Um, yeah, that almost in a weird way was kind of sad. That actually does also come from the CIA, who did a little bit of a research study on that in the 1956, or it was a little bit earlier than that, almost maybe in 1949. What was the year, Jake? No, so uh, well, like <laughs> I said, all of the documents yeah. I used will go up on the website if you all want to see it. Um, so Stalin was, like I said, she's the most notably loved child, which is really sad. <laughs> Because you had, you forgot that she had another brother and another brother, but I think from different fucking women, because as we talked, I think he was getting around at that point before he met her, and one killed himself, and one was captured by the Nazis, and they said, we're going to bargain for you to pull pull out and end the war, you get your son back, and he goes, I do not want my son. <laughs> That's pretty much how that went. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that was noted was that that relationship to her father, as of 1953, was, quote, suffocatingly close. That, like, she left to go to college, and he would write her about how lonely he was that she wasn't there to keep him company. Jeez. That just shows the sort of relationship that they're in. All right. 
So, final person. Number At the 10. End of part one. Who would I call? Come on, man. All right, you're right. <laughs> anyway, number 10, Nikolai Bulganin, or as I like to call him, Soviet Colonel Sanders. I like to call him Bulgy. You need to re- like look him up. You'll know what I mean. Nikolai Bulganin. Okay, yep. I'll take a look. CPSU Org Bureau member from 46 to 48, Minister of the Armed Forces from 47 to 49, Deputy Chairman of the Council of Ministers from 1950 to 55, and Minister of Defense from 53 to 55. So he was holding a lot of positions. Bulganin reached the elite ranks of the Red Army and the CPSU without ever actually serving in the military at any level. For real. Like, I don't know if you're laughing at me or the picture. No, I was laughing at your, your description of I'm not even actually just, serving. No, no, literally. He's just like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, And so, practically, Bulganin's role entirely in the Red Army was just to ensure that no one... Of the wartime commanders, especially Marshal, or especially Marshal Zukov, would be powerful enough to usurp Stalin should that eventuality arise. He was basically sort of like the um, the snitch in the in the hierarchy of the Red Army's command the staff. Snitch. Yeah. Um, Bogandin was a very organized sort of person. It kind of aided him in his administration positions because, of course, there's a lot of shit you got to do. Um, mm-hmm. And it cost him, though, the good graces of his subordinates because, according to the CIA, who also had done a personality file on them because they're CIA, for fuck's sake, that's what they do, besides, you know, hiding the UFOs and, and killing foreign leaders from time to time, um, Bogannon's method of authority was, quote, that very few of his collaborators had any voice within the Moscow City Council. He was the one guy who got to make the decisions. And everyone, even heads of departments in the city, were afraid of him. Because he probably had a lot of background power. Context meant a lot. Um, those within Bogarin's good graces, however, told an exceptionally liberal and friendly individual who was a considerate and attentive man while on the job. All this information is also following from the CIA's uh, uh, personality files documents. And in his personal life, Bulganin is a very was considered a very sociable individual as well, often hosting a lot of parties where he and people that the guests would sort of discuss a lot of the liberal ideas. You know, it was there was talk. He was also considered at least considered or according to the CIA handler, and I love this statement, <laughs> files info, he was quote, a bit of a gourmet and fond of drinking. So puts us in perspective. Smart Pretty much all of them, set Vasily, smart across the board. <laughs> and uh, Svetlana's living her life, but all of the other major power handlers are basically sort of looking for the right chance to stab each other in the back. So that kind of puts up the personnel file. Do we want to just move straight on to the uh, intro, or do we want to... What do you think? And we will do that next time. In episode two! Hopefully this won't last more than two episodes, yeah! Of Yosef Stalin. Oh, this will be three. And his death. <laughs> and his death. And then after his death. And a couple other things. But that's just what we gotta do, because we're historians, goddammit! <laughs> so we hope you liked this first episode. Please rate and subscribe. Or we'll send you to the gulag. Ring that bell. Oh, God. That feels so cheap for saying that. Smash that like button. Smash that like button like you'd smash capitalism. Ah, but please. 
uh, give us those ratings out there seriously. And if you have any questions, you can email us or, and, uh, or uh, hit us up on social media there. Hey. Yeah. Okay. Thanks Just for watching. Remember, people. I'll catch you next week. Check us out. You got nothing to lose but your chains. Check us out. Like, check us out. Love you.